at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 It is one of the most, and the only word I can think of to describe it is stupid. Um, tweets that I have seen come from a public employee in a long time. It is a tweet that is not helpful, and it is a tweet that maybe damages her credibility irrevocably moving forward. Now, we were alluding to the story at the top of the hour. Claire Woodall Volk is the Milwaukee Election Commission director. Now, let me back up here for a minute. During the 2020 election, I do not believe the election was stolen. I've been maintaining that since the 2020 election occurred. And my message to part of the Republican base is you need to move on from this. I mean, I think what happened in the 2020 election is that you might have had in certain areas processes that were The law was interpreted incorrectly as to what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. But that's very, very different from fraud because you have vague election laws and you've got the state elections board that interprets it one way and you have a Waukesha judge that interprets it another way. And for whatever reason, the state Supreme Court didn't clarify it in time. So you had different standards that were being implemented. But that just because you have a legitimate disagreement about whether you can have drop boxes or what you're allowed to do when it comes to correcting absentee ballots that are submitted and are missing a zip code or something like that, that's far different from fraud. So I, I do not believe there was any evidence of any sort of significant fraud and certainly nothing that would change the results of the election. Okay, so let me, let me put that out there in, in advance. In addition, when it comes to the city of Milwaukee, I, I think that a lot of people look at, we've talked about this before, the, the ballot dump, if you want to use that phrase, that has occurred um, after polls have closed, where you go to bed and all of a sudden you think Scott Walker is going to be the governor and you wake up and you find Tony Evers is the governor because all of a sudden 100,000 ballots from the city of Milwaukee get tabulated and they go 80 to 80 percent Democrat and, and they switch the margin. All right. As I've said before, that's not fraud. That's just the reality of the way that works nowadays, because in Wisconsin, we stupidly, in my opinion, do not allow the election officials to start the process of tabulating the absentee ballots in advance. In many, many states, what happens is, is the absentee ballots come in, they're opened up, they're fed into the machines, they're not tabulated, but they're there. And so when the polls open, you can push the button on the machines and they get tabulated. In Wisconsin, we don't allow that to happen. So what happens, in, particularly in urban areas like Milwaukee, where you have a huge number of absentee ballots, the poll workers aren't able to start opening up the ballots until Election Day. But 
they're already busy with all the other stuff that's going on. So as a result, the polls close. They've got 100,000 ballots that aren't counted. So you have to go through this process. They don't get open. They don't get turned in. They don't get tabulated. So you don't get a result till the middle of the night. And oftentimes, just because of the way Wisconsin's geography is and the fact that Democrats cluster in Milwaukee and in Dane County, you, you in a close election, you suddenly get this huge number of Democrat ballots that are cast. It doesn't mean that it's fraud. It is just the process, which is one of the reasons why it was so disappointing to me that the Republicans wouldn't advance legislation, which allowed us to, again, begin the process of tabulating those early ballots prior to the election day so we wouldn't have the, these ballot dumps. Okay, so that that's how I, I view these issues at the start. So let, let's talk about the the latest silliness from the election director. The election director, Claire Woodall Vogue, was during the 2020 election, I think it would be fair to say that she was she was definitely aggressive in certain interpretations of the law to expand voting. Not saying that I believe that she did illegal things, but I think that, you know, Milwaukee took a very aggressive approach towards allowing people to vote and making it as easy as possible to vote, and maybe in some cases interpreting rules or laws incorrectly. I, I don't believe there was fraud. It was just that was their approach. So then the, the night of the 2020 election occurs, you have that huge ballot dump where in the middle of the night you have like 100,000 votes come in and it solidifies the fact that Joe Biden beats Donald Trump in Wisconsin. But a lot of people look at that and they go, Okay, you know, what's what's going on here? And again, there's a logical explanation for it. I'm not saying that there's fraud, but it, it feeds into this image that some people have that, oh, this had to be stolen, that they found all the, these ballots that are there. So into this wades the um, Milwaukee Elections Commissioner. And you might remember this because what happens is she gets an email from a guy who's associated with, you know, one of the sort of George Soros types of, of groups. And he sends her an email which ends up becoming public. And um, the email essentially says something like, you know, boy, you've got a sense of you've really got a sense of of drama, you know, waiting till the, the last minute or something like that. And then her response is, you know, you know, laugh out loud, LOL. And and this then becomes public. Now, she was kidding. I, I understand that she was kidding as she responds to this, you know, text that she ends up getting from, you know, one of these guys. But it, it fuels Again, the, the anger that some people had in believing that the whole election was was stolen. You guys, the text is comes in at 3 in the morning. I bet you had those votes counted at midnight and just wanted to keep the world waiting. Her response is, LOL, I just wanted to say I had been awake for a full 24 hours. Okay, so she's, she's kidding about this. And it becomes public, and then there's all this outrage. Yeah, she, she was in line, and she was trying to organize this. And, and it's not true. She was just making a very, very bad joke. After she does this, though, and given a lot of the other stuff that went on, again, the, the what I want to say, the aggressiveness that Milwaukee had in trying to make it as easy as possible for people to vote, she ends up getting a lot of hate mail. There is no excuse for anybody to send 
hate mail to a public official. And in some cases, the hate mail, apparently, I believe it crosses the line. You know, she was getting like veiled death threats and things like that. Um, the FBI and local authorities investigated. To my knowledge, nobody has been charged with a crime like that, but it doesn't make any difference. You know, you, you shouldn't be subjected to those type of threats, whether you're a election commissioner or whether you're a political figure or whether you're a talk show host or whatever. And if people violate the law, they deserve to be prosecuted. So after all this comes out, you know, she's the object of a lot of this attention. She gets a number of emails, like I say, that are clearly inappropriate and in many cases or at least some cases may well have been criminal if authorities decided to you know identify the people and and prosecute them no problem with that all right well she apparently though didn't learn her lesson when it comes to social media because as reported by channel 12 what happens is the Republican National Convention is, is down to two choices it's down to either Milwaukee or to Nashville. And yesterday was when they um, ended up, you know, at least the final presentations were being made. So apparently, you know, what she decides to do is she decides to take to her Twitter account last Friday when, you know, the city is building and trying to bid on the RNC. And she says, should Milwaukee host the RNC, you will find me working remotely out of state that week, lest I be hung in the town square like some have threatened, end quote. Okay. And then when this tweet becomes public, um, she said they, they delete, she deletes her Twitter account and says, well, I, it was an ill attempt at some dark humor, given that I get death threats that are fueled by the 2020 presidential election. So she thought she was trying to be funny when she says this. And I guess I, I had two thoughts on this. I'm going to open up the phone lines for your reaction as well. First of all, as I said, this is an incredibly stupid tweet. Number one. It potentially jeopardizes a huge event for the city when you have the elections commissioner who is like at least implying in the tweet. I understand she says it's dark humor, implying in the tweet that, geez, these Republicans, if they come to town, are are going to murder me. Okay. secondly, and maybe this is even the bigger picture, by saying something like this, I think it raises questions or potentially will raise questions in people's minds about whether Every action she takes going forward is based on political bias. Gee, I can't even be in town when those Republicans are there. Well, if you can't even be in town when the Republicans are are there, all right, how, how can you fairly administer an election that involves Republicans and Democrats? Now, I understand just like what I think she did on election night in 2020 was an ill-timed effort at humor. This, I think, again, well, like she herself says, well, it was an ill attempt, ill attempt at some dark humor. Okay, she, she's trying to be funny, but it tells me she hasn't learned anything at all from what she did before. And this is in no way, shape or form to countenance, you know, people who make death threats. Now, obviously, if you're a public official, you've got to be used to taking some sort of criticism. But there's a difference between criticism and crossing the line and threatening people's lives and things like that. So if there's people doing that, they deserve to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But at the same time, at the same time, you now have an elections commissioner who is at least on the surface of this tweet 
questioning whether she thinks the RNC should be here and whether the Republicans will pose a threat to her life, not, and also now moving forward. I mean, is this really true? Is this how she views Republicans because she's gotten some of this hostile email and stuff? How can she do her job effectively? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Two issues here. First of all, if she's getting threats and she's still getting threats, you know, they, they deserve to figure out who's doing that and prosecute them. No question about it. But she's making matters worse by her her inability i guess to try to stay off twitter and not be and try to be funny on twitter about matters that i think a lot of people aren't amused about and the last thing you need in the city of milwaukee or pretty much anywhere given the fact that there's a lot of us that really are trying to argue that elections officials do a, a really good job and there's not bias and the 2020 election was legitimate last thing you need is the elections commissioner coming and saying i can't be in town when in the Republican Republicans are here because um, I, I might be I might be hung in the town square. Well, if she's that afraid of Republicans, how can she do her job moving forward? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The uh, Milwaukee Elections Commissioner once more back in the news by making a, a a, by her own words, is a, a joke, a stab at dark humor, suggesting that, well, gee, I, I, if the Republican National Convention comes to Milwaukee, I, I got to be out of town because, you know, they, they want to hang me in the square. Well, I, look, and again, I think it's important to separate the two things. If the woman is getting death threats, they should be prosecuted. There's no question about it. But this is the type of tweet that, number one, to the extent that it, it discourages the Republican National Committee from coming here because you've got a city official who at least is implying that, gee, these, these Republicans are all going to kill me. Okay, that's an issue. Number two, it questions to me, now whenever there's anything controversial, she is now on the record as expressing her fear of, of being around Republicans. So how can you look at any decision that she makes moving forward without viewing it in the political prism? And this is completely and totally self-inflicted, as was at least the thing that started the overreaction and maybe illegal overreaction, the idea that she thinks to, she goes on Twitter and decides to, to be glib about things that some people care a lot about, even if they are incorrect in believing the election was stolen. 855-616-1620. Let's say, um, gee, I'm wondering if she should keep her job. Her attitude reeks of bias and she keeps stirring things up. I'm in a smaller town. If I posted things like she did, I would be brought before the board and my ability to be unbiased would severely be questioned. And, And again, there's the two issues that are here, which is what troubles me. One, One is that she shouldn't have to receive death threats, and people who are doing that deserve to be prosecuted. But secondly, she should stay off Twitter and stop trying to be funny, quote-unquote, about this stuff, because all she does is make things worse. Um, Andrew in Waukesha. Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Good morning. Thanks, sir. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. So to me, this gets to the heart of the issue, and especially when you talk about the election and the problems with the way we run elections, okay? The issue here is you have a government official who seems to be touting a democratic talking point, and that's the issue. You have the, the levers of power all just biased towards one party over the other. And that doesn't matter if they're running an election, if they're doing policing, if they're doing 
parks and recreation. It is all biased and geared towards one party over the other, and they're just blatant in your face about it. This isn't a mistake. This isn't like, oh, gee, I said something wrong. This is how they operate. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, thanks for call. I mean, look, I, 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 I understand. Look, I, I, I get it. I understand it's here, and, and nobody, nobody likes to get nasty emails, and nobody likes to be criticized for their performance, and nobody should ever be subject to, to death threats and things like that, and, and vile sort of emails. That's just completely inappropriate. But the the problem is when you respond in a certain way, what ends up happening is you you fuel the belief those people have. Well, she's she's biased towards Republicans. Now, again, I think the election was run fairly, but there's this perception: oh, she's biased towards Republicans, and look at all these things she did, and, and look at look at what she said on election night, and now look at what she's saying about the RNC and things like that. And even if she's trying to be funny, she undermines her her credibility. And I understand the way this is now being played out now is let's let's not look at the thing she was saying let, let's let's look at again if the fact that she got death threats after the election well there's two different issues that are out there and if i'm if i'm the mayor i'm whistling her in and i'm saying and i i, I know the mayor's office was not happy with this at all because they're trying to get the republican national convention here and this was at, at best an ill ill attempt at humor, which is why that undoubtedly why her Twitter account has been deleted. But nevertheless, it's out there. If I'm the mayor, I'm whistling in and I'm saying, look, here, here's the deal. These these are really volatile things. We, we want you to keep doing your job, but you got to stop trying to be funny. You've got to stop minimizing or making jokes about this type of stuff. If you're continuing to get death threats, here, report them to the FBI, report them to the Milwaukee police, let's investigate these type of things. But being funny by saying, hey, I've got to get out of town when these Republicans come to town, well, okay, maybe you want to knock that off. Or if you really believe that, if you really believe that you cannot be fair because you're in fear of what the Republicans are going to do, well, maybe you you need to find something different to do if that's how you really feel. And if it's just you being glib and trying to be funny, just, just knock it off and do your job. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Well, the drawing of districts and the redistricting continues to go on and continues to get even messier. The United States Supreme Court, Alex was just telling you that, breaking news has overruled the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which two weeks ago in a four to three vote with the three liberal justices and kind of the swing justice, Brian Haggardorn, voting to adopt Tony Evers's drafts of districts, uh, election districts, um, an appeal from the Republicans in the legislature was granted by the Supreme Court, and they have now struck down that Supreme Court ruling, finding that it violated the Constitution's equal protection guarantees by redrawing boundaries based on racial criteria. Okay, so so what happened and how did we get there? Let, let's just kind of back up just so people understand the process. Every 10 years, we have a census. The census is used to determine how election districts are 
are constituted because under under the law, for example, in Wisconsin, we have eight congressional districts. Under the law, each of those districts has to have approximately the same number of people. Similarly, for state offices, there's 99 assembly districts. Each of those assembly districts has to have approximately the same number of people. There's 33 Senate districts, which contain three assembly districts. You know, there's three assembly districts for every Senate seat. Each Senate district has to have approximately the same number of people, which is why some of the districts are geographically a lot smaller. If you're a state senator in Milwaukee, right, your your district is going to be geographically a lot smaller than maybe if you're in the extreme northwest portion of the state because you have to have the same number of people. So that's one of the reasons why you do the census, because in a 10-year period, people move. So you have to constantly redraw the lines every 10 years to make sure they have an equal number of people. Well, that's where you get into these heated debates about how you're going to redraw the lines. And and both political parties want to redraw the lines to give them the, the greatest possible political advantage. And that's where you get the term gerrymandering and things like that. Well, the the maps that Tony Evers drew that the Wisconsin Supreme Court adopted were similar to the maps that we had 10 years ago. All right. And that's one of the reasons why the four members of the Supreme Court that voted for it voted for it, because it, it was similar. But what happened is in drawing those maps, Evers started monkeying around with some of the districts, particularly in southeastern Wisconsin, that were majority-minority districts. Um, In other words, the map that he drew created a total of nine black majority districts, two in the Senate, seven in the Assembly. All districts have black majorities of between 50% and 51%, according to the court filings. That's more than the districts before. So what ended up happening, the Supreme Court looked at this and said, look, here's, here's, here's the problem with this. You can't, you can't use race as a factor in drawing districts. And Evers did use race as a factor in, in drawing the districts. The way this used to work out is, you know, back in, in the days of segregation and Jim Crow and stuff, um, people would draw the districts to minimize the influence of, of black voting. You know, they try to spread out the black vote, for example. And, and that was, as it should have been, that was illegal. In, in this case, what you have is that Evers reduced the number of minority voters in a number of districts in order to create one more majority-minority district. But but they did it, you know, using race as a factor. And the Supreme Court, rightly or wrongly, said you can't do that. So where do we go from here? Well, this doesn't have any effect at all. It won't have any effect at all on the, the elections that are coming up in April, the nonpartisan elections. In addition, the Supreme Court allowed the federal districts, the federal congressional districts, to stand. So they're going to be, as proposed by the governor, they're, they're going to be fine. But what's going to happen now is this case goes back to the Supreme Court, to the state Supreme Court, for them to figure out how do you draw the, the districts for state assembly seats and state Senate seats. And they've already said the, the way Evers did it, at least with regard to some of these districts, what was wrong. So are they back to square one? No, but they're going to have to take an independent look at it. They might 
consider more testimony, et cetera, on the reasons for why some of these districts were redrawn, et cetera. And the Supreme Court says that, hey, you, you've got there's time between now and the November elections. Well, yes and no, because pretty soon the people that want to run for um, office are going to have to start taking out election papers for the primaries and stuff. So th- this this is, is pretty much of a of a mess. Uh, to tell you the honest truth, I really didn't have too much of a problem with the Evers districts. I, I mean, they, they are very similar to the districts that we've had for 10 years. They're not radical redrawings in general, but there's no question that I think the Supreme Court is right that you know he used race as a factor in trying to redraw some of these things. I don't know how this whole thing is going to turn out, but it is, it is a mess because you do need some degree of certainty with regard to you know what are the election districts I mean, that tells the candidates you know gee you know am do i live in the district i want to run in it tells the incumbents am i going to get moved out of my district so it's got to be resolved and unfortunately this decision delays the ultimate resolution of this for probably a couple months at, at least taking us into the start of the summer maybe to the middle of the summer before we know exactly what the details are and as we were talking about earlier the, the whole concept of elections have become so politicized and every time you have one of these things happen I, I think it serves to in some respects diminish the faith that people have in the electoral process gee they can't draw districts etc why should I vote? I mean, does my vote mean anything? Is this being manipulated? I don't think that's what's happening here. But nevertheless, we need closure on this issue. And the closure, well, it's a ways off. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Well, today's the day. Are you ready for your shining moment? Tune in all day for Selection Wednesday, sponsored by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. Throughout the day, each WTMJ show will take four callers. You call, you get a team playing in the tournament. If your team wins it all, free pizza for a year. It's the Palermo's Pizza Bracket Challenge on WTMJ. Now, let me explain how we're going to do this on this program. During the 1 o'clock hour, At the appropriate time, I will tell you, and you will have an opportunity to call in. We're going to take two callers during the 1 o'clock hour and through a random draw. Don't do it now. Our phone lines are ringing. Don't do it now. But through a random draw, our assistant program director who's filling in, producing the show for me today, she'll draw names out of a hat, and she will assign those two callers a team in the tournament. We have the West division. So the teams are going to be Gonzaga, Arkansas, Duke, Texas Tech. Those are the four teams. So we'll take two callers during the one o'clock hour. They will be randomly assigned one of those four teams. During the two o'clock hour, we'll do the same thing. We'll take two callers and they will be assigned the other two teams. So and if any of those four teams ends up winning it all, you get free pizza for a year. Now, actually, I'm very, very optimistic because the the teams that, that are playing in the West region, Gonzaga, Arkansas, Duke, Texas Tech, all really good teams. It's And actually, this is one of the brackets where it's the one, two, three, and four seeds. So um, that's how we're going to do it. So keep listening. Your chance to win free pizza for a year and to just tighten the interest, perhaps, um, in what's going on. Okay, 
it's another one of these stories that, again, just kind of has me me shaking my head about, you know, where we end up going with, you know, crime in this city. It's another one of these stories about what happens is it, down in Cudahy, you have a story the other night involving uh, a police chase the cops go to try to pull somebody over right simple sort of thing a a simple traffic stop they try to pull somebody over instead of simply pulling over and doing what they're supposed to do what ends up happening well they flee from the police and in fleeing from the police they decide not just to flee from the police but to shoot at the cops here's the story police said about 8 15 on on tuesday what ended up happening is, well, both people had been arrested. About 8.15 a.m., both suspects involved in the incident had been taken into custody. But one of them, a 26-year-old Green Bay man, had initially eluded police. According to the police department, officer tries to pull over a speeding vehicle about 1.41 a.m. in the 5400 block of South Packard Avenue. Instead of stopping, the driver flees. During the chase, the passenger fires gunshots from the car. They're shooting at the police. I mean, it's like an old Western movie where you've got the bad guys are chasing the stagecoach and you've got the guy, um, the one guy's trying to steer the horses and the, the other guy is sitting there with the rifle shooting at the bad guys. That's going on on the streets of Cudahy. Well, to demonstrate, again, not only are these criminals, but they're morons. Apparently, the guy who's shooting at the cops, he's firing gunshots from the car. He's striking his own car. <laughs> he's, 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 shooting, he's shooting his own car. The driver, a 50-year-old man, crashed the car at Packard Avenue and South Lake Drive. He was arrested. The passenger, this would be the guy that was firing, he takes off about 7 a.m., um, a few hours later, security staff at the local FBI office spot him. They arrest him. Charges are being sought. But again, this is another one of these stories about you know, you've got people that are speeding. They're driving recklessly. Okay, that's a bad thing. But instead of when the police try to pull them over, instead of simply pulling over, getting the ticket or whatever, they decide to flee. And in this case, you decide not only to flee, but you decide to shoot at the police. Like, what are you thinking is going to happen here? You know, you're firing at the squad car. Where do you think this is going to end up? Well, I'll tell you where this is going to end up. Hopefully, both of these yahoos are going to be sent to prison for a significant period of time. Fleeing from the cops and shooting at the police is a very, very dangerous thing. And if both of these idiots don't get at least five years, it's going to be nothing short of an outrage. Now, the good news is nobody ends up getting injured as a result of this. The one surprise here is that the driver of the car was a 50-year-old guy. The person who was in the passenger seat apparently shooting at the police was 26 years old so this isn't one of the situations that typically happens where it's a 14 and a 15 and a 16 year old it's a 50 year old and a 26 year old they haven't released their names yet my guess is when they do release the names one of the things you're going to see and it's just my guess that it's not 
their first time at the rodeo, which may explain why they decided to flee from the police and shoot at them. I mean, it is entirely possible that maybe you can go through life with a completely clean record and wake up one morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to be driving recklessly at 140 in the morning when the police uh, decide to pull me over, I'm going to speed away, and my partner in crime is going to pull out a gun and start blasting. It could be that that is your first the first time you dip your toe into the waters of criminal activity. My guess is my guess is it's going to turn out that both of these Yahoos have probably been in the criminal justice system on at least one and probably a lot more occasions, which might inform why they decided to do what they did. But but time will tell on that. Regardless Looks to me like this is something that should be at least five years in prison. The good news is that nobody was hurt, particularly no pedestrians, no other drivers, and certainly not the police. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, the next Milwaukee mayoral debate happens here, hosted by our partners at TMJ4 News. Tune in Sunday at 6 p.m. as Cavalier Johnson and Bob Donovan discuss the issues that matter to you. Moderated by Charles Benson and Shannon Sims, you'll hear the entire debate live right here. The Milwaukee mayoral debate, Sunday at 6 o'clock on News Radio WTMJ. All right, let me give you some good news. In the mood for some good news, um, they've just announced that the China Lights Wisconsin Festival um, is going to be returning to Borner Botanical Gardens this fall after two years uh, of absence. From September 16th to October 30th, Borner Botanical Gardens on the south side is um, going to bring back the, the China Lights. If you've never seen this, do yourself a favor and go down and do it. It's spectacular. What they do is they take, they, they just, they have these, and it's actually, it is, it's China lights, and, and they set up like over 40 different displays of these incredible this incredible light show and then they have a series of stages where they put on various types of um cultural entertainment i i had never been until gosh about three years i mean three years ago i think i went the, the year before they ended up canceling it because of the pandemic for two years and i was just absolutely totally blown away and i remember thinking you know if anybody gets a chance to see it they should so this is really good news september 16th to october 30th borner botanical gardens do your a favor and go see China Lights. I am thrilled that it's back. And I'll be back right after the news. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right. Is it the family's fault? Is it the airline's fault? Who's right? Who's wrong? Now, we all know for the last, gosh, it seems like forever, but it's probably only been the year and last year and a half, if you want to travel on airplanes, you must wear masks. And the mask rules continue to be one of the, the last, this is the last frontier of mask rules. The Biden administration refuses to drop them, at least for the moment. Right now, the mask rules are supposed to expire, I believe, mid-April, but who knows what what they will do. But the rule are is that if you're in an airport 
or you're on the plane, you've got to wear the mask. Now, we've talked about that before. I think you probably know how I, I feel about it. But all right, those are the rules. But the question becomes, what about people with disabilities? What about people who cannot wear the masks? How do you treat them? And that's why there are exceptions that are built in the rules for people with disabilities so they can't wear, so that they cannot wear the masks because otherwise you would be violating their, their rights by saying, oh, now, you know, because you have a disability that prevents you from wearing a mask, we're going to deny you the right to travel on an airplane. Well, here's the story as reported by Fox 6. A Richfield family thought they properly notified the airline that their son, who has autism, has trouble wearing masks. Instead, they were told he couldn't fly. Okay, so the eight-year-old boy, his name is Max. His family, again, apparently they, they read all the stuff. And, I mean, I've been – I like Southwest. I'm, I'm a fan of Southwest Airlines. Most of the places I go to, um, Southwest flies to. And so Southwest is, is normally my – again, it's my go-to. It's the first place I'd look if I have to go somewhere. So I'm a fan of Southwest. So anyhow, the, the mom says, look, I, I'm investigating this. I've got an 8-year-old autistic son. So I, I read the rules with regard to, like, disabilities and stuff. Said so the family said they got to Chicago's O'Hare International Airport on Tuesday morning, March 22nd. They were excited about their upcoming vacation. Said the kid's looking forward to going on his first vacation in a couple years. Um, So mom, they they show up, they get to O'Hare bright and early, and they're traveling with their eight-year-old autistic son. They said, every time we travel, we go over the top in making sure that we're prepared. So I filled out on on the, the paperwork that I, I did and I submitted to Southwest in advance. I read all their pages. I filled out that he had a cognitive disability. When the family gets to the gate, they ask for a wheelchair. And they say instead they were questioned about their 18-year-old son. The woman at the gate says, is he not going to be wearing a mask? And she said, well, he, he has autism and um he struggles with this, but if you need me to put one on him, you know, I, I can try. She said she then put the mask on the boy and instead, at the same time, handed over a doctor's note. And the doctor says the child's got autism and he struggles with wearing a mask. Apparently, the woman at the gate, according to mom, says he has autism um, and I can't guarantee that he's going to wear his mask later. That's what she tells the mom. Mom says, well, that, that's my job. I'll make sure he wears the mask and apparently the woman at the gate says well that that's not good enough you know we we can't guarantee that he will keep his mask on so the family was told the eight-year-old would not be allowed to fly mom and the sister apparently goes to go to Punta Cana and dad and mask drive home you know mom said we had this family vacation planned um, that I had earned for free to stay in this beautiful suite and it just got ripped away by one person's decision because of my son's disability my heart is just broken right now Southwest says well we take pride in providing a warm and welcoming environment for all customers and we are disheartened to hear of the family's less than positive experience we will um, refund the, the cost of the trip. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so l- let's discuss this here. You, you've got the rule. The rule says you're supposed to wear a mask. We, we all know that. But at the same time, if you go to, and I did this before the show, if you go to Southwest Airlines, they've got this page that says you've got people with disabilities, you know, fill out these different forms, provide us this information, and, you know, we'll 
as we're required to do, we will make accommodations. So here you have an eight-year-old with autism who is clearly going to struggle wearing the, the mask. And Southwest decides, well, okay, we're not going to allow him to fly because you can't guarantee that he's going to keep the mask on, which is probably true. I don't know that you could guarantee that he's going to keep the mask on. Should he have been prevented from getting on the plane? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I guess here's how I look at this. If the mother had properly, like she says she did, filled out the paperwork, notified Southwest in advance that you had a child with a cognitive difficulty, and the issue is the mask, okay, and and the issue is the mask. If Southwest was not going to allow this child to fly, they should have made that clear before the family got to the gate, like maybe in the booking process. 855-616-1620, what do you think? Should they have just let the kid on the plane and understood that mom was probably going to be struggling to make the kid keep the mask on. But at the same time, would it have been the end of the world if you allowed this eight-year-old autistic child to travel on the plane and not wear the mask because he has difficulty with it? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. In this case, assuming that the mother's story is accurate, they fill out the paperwork in advance. They tell Southwest that they've got a child that is autistic and, and has these different issues. To wait till you get to the gate to recognize that, that he's going to have trouble wearing the mask and only at the gate tell him you're not going to let him on the plane. I, I'm sorry. I, that strikes me as absolutely wrong in this case. Jeff, paperwork was filled out. Mask was worn at the gate. They should have let him on. How in the heck can an employee say, because I think he might not wear it later, we're not letting you on now? 855-616-1620. Um, I, I just, you know, th- this is, you know, this whole issue. Here somebody says, Jeff, airlines have had adults yell, hit, and cause all kinds of issues about masks, and Southwest is worried about an 8-year-old autistic child keeping on his mask? Grow up, Southwest. Yeah, I think, you know, that's that's the issue. Jeff, I think if the passengers knew what the child had, you'd be hard-pressed to find any of them opposed to the child not wearing it. Um, yeah, Jeff, rules are rules. Okay, well, but, but that's the question. What, what, what do the rules say? I, I will tell you this. You, you cannot, you cannot discriminate against people that have disabilities. So if the mask rule, if somebody with a disability, a legitimate disability, can't wear the mask, you can't tell them that you can't come on the airplane because of your disability. I think that's pretty clear. That's why in this particular case, it's not so much that Southwest doesn't let autistic people fly on the planes if they can't wear masks. It's that if mom discloses this situation, nobody red flags it. They sell her the ticket. She shows up with the rest of the family at the gate, and it's only at the gate that this suddenly becomes an issue. That's that's the situation. Jeff, I'm against rules or rules. Common sense and kindness should also be considered. Um, you know, you know that that's there. So if this is the issue, and somebody says wrong facts, people did not fill out paperwork in advance. No, that's not what the mom says. Mom says she notified them in advance as required for on the Southwest website. But but here, but the bottom line, regardless of this, is you've got an eight-year-old kid with autism, for, for goodness sakes, and 
mom is going to commit herself to trying to keep the kids mask on but let's even look at the bigger picture okay given where we are when it comes to the pandemic and things like that is there really any reason to not allow that 88 year old kid with the disability to get on that airplane I mean seriously what what do we think is going to happen do we think that the kid is carrying COVID is going to suddenly infect the whole plane well okay you know it isn't aren't wouldn't you be much more worried about the people that are you know pulling their masks down and, and aren't appropriately wearing their masks wouldn't you be much more worried about I don't know sitting next to somebody in a basketball stadium or a movie theater or something like that Jeff of course they should have let him on the plane I'm sure you could tell that he had a disability I would rather be sitting next to this young man without a mask than the woman I had to sit next to a few weeks ago on a Southwest flight to Fort Myers she decided to eat a large bag of Sun chips for the entire two and a half hour flight so she didn't have to wear her mask um, <laughs> the jumping in my ear of her licking her fingers literally put the crunching in my ear of her licking her fingers literally put me over the edge right that's the other silly thing that that comes about this that it's okay well if you're actively eating and drinking you don't have to wear your mask on the plane so I'm gonna bring the jumbo bag of Doritos and I'm going to I'm going to sit and see how long I you know eat this um, you know I, I guess I just I look at the situation and I think you, you've got to be able to figure out you've got to be able to figure out how you make something like this work and if they were worried that the kid was going to act up and, and pose a, a risk that that might be something Lamar who's calling us from Orlando Florida Lamar you're on WTMJ good afternoon hey Jeff always a pleasure thanks for taking my call <clears throat> so as a flight crew obviously I, I hate these masks the mask rule just in general uh, you know how I feel about that but one of the biggest issues with the mask is that the inconsistency in enforcement. Sometimes you'll get crews that are, like, overly aggressive about it, and you'll get passengers that are really lax, or, or you'll get, you know, crews that are very lax or passengers that are aggressive that kind of force crews to, to react. But one thing has been consistent across the board in terms of enforcement. Nobody makes a big deal when kids, I don't care if the kid is two or or, or nine, nobody makes a big deal when kids don't wear the mask, because that, that really makes a big, you know, a big issue. And... In terms of enforcement, you don't really make a call. Even with an adult, you don't make the call. Like if there's an issue during boarding and they're being, you know, non-compliant, you don't want to get up in the air and have to deal with them, so you deal with them. But you don't make an issue at the gate. Like that's I've, that's unheard of. I've never heard of that even with an adult. So, but yeah, yeah. this is just this is crazy. I've never heard of this with a kid. Yeah. No, thanks to Carl Lamar. I guess that that's kind of what what strikes me. And again, I, I understand. I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to flight crews. OK, I, I'm not a fan of the mask mandates. I, I'm not. But that's what the rules are. So, you know, what's going in is what is to what the game is. So if you don't think that you can wear a mask, or you don't want to wear a mask. Well, then take a bus or actually, yeah, wear masks on bus, then drive yourself. OK, so because that's what the rules are. And we can argue whether they sh the rules should be in place. We could argue whether the rules should have been removed a long time ago. I'm in that camp but those are the rules but this is different this is somebody with a disability Jeff I bet you would have loved having this child sit directly in back of you on an airplane while everyone deserves a vacation the parents should have considered a different travel plan such as driving instead of flying 
I don't even know what to say to that. So if the argument is, gee, if you've got an autistic child, you you shouldn't be able to take that child on an airplane and you shouldn't be able to take the child on a, on a flight to a vacation. Sorry, I, I'm not even close to that. And yes, I, I understand. And I'm one of those people that if I'm sitting on a flight and you, you've got a, a child that's masked or not, that, that's misbehaving and kicking the seats and stuff like that. Yes, I, I, I want the parents to make it stop, make them stop. I, okay, I understand that. But that's different than saying, would I have cared if this child, otherwise well-behaved, gets on the plane and doesn't have a mask on because of his disability? Would that have bothered me? I guarantee you I would have had no problem with that at all. Okay, let us switch gears. As we have been telling you, today is Selection Wednesday, sponsored by Palermo's Pizza. So here's the deal. We are going to take two callers, callers number 8 and callers number 9, to 855-616-1620. Callers 8 and callers 9. Those two callers, Rachel, will randomly assign one of four teams um, which are playing in the Tournament West region. So you're going to have your choice between Duke, or not your choice, but you're going to be assigned Gonzaga, Arkansas, Duke, or Texas Tech, one of those four teams. If one of those teams wins it all, you get pizza for a year, free pizza for a year from Palermo. So callers 8 and 9, um, 855-616-1620. Back with more in just a minute. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, during the next hour of the program, we will assign the other two teams from the West region. And if one of those teams wins it all, you get free pizza from Palermo's for a year. How cool is that? So keep listening for your chance to win. Um, boy, I tell you, I was had a chance to like listen to some of the ball game. It's, it is just so great to have baseball back on the radio and it was big news yesterday was that the Brewers ended up uh, they had 10 players who I think were eligible for arbitration and they ended up cutting deals with nine of those 10 players only one left and that means that you know a lot of people got substantial raises and candidly those people you know deserve substantial raises and so that's good it looks like you're going to have a Brewers team that is extremely you know happy and healthy and Looking forward to winning some games this year, and I cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to you know, opening day, which is going to be on the road this year because of the adjusted schedule. Opening day is April 7th, but the home opener, April 14th, and if you have not heard how we do the home openers on April, on home openers, well, we, we do it right here at WTMJ, live broadcast from the stadium all day. Haven't exactly seen the, the action plan for it, but if it follows what we've done in previous years typically we have the opportunity to have a not lot of players um, on on to be interviewed in advance of the game um, in years past we've able been able to get Bob Euchre and we've been able to get the owner Mark Atanasio to come on out and do interviews and I'm hoping we're going to be able to do the same uh, this year the exciting thing about opening day this year is the fact that um, it it's because it's April 14th, they're going to start it at 4.14. You know, typically the opening day game starts at, at like about 1 o'clock. That's normally how they do it. This year it's going to be 4.14. And the cool thing for me is that means um, I, I get a whole show. My program will be 
from noon until three, and I just always very much enjoy the opportunity to interview an, a number of the players and get that whole thing set up. So mark your calendars, baseball, full-time, regular season baseball back on April 7th, but the Milwaukee Brewers home opener, which is always a big deal here on WTMJ, one of my favorite days of the whole year, that rolls around on April 14th. So very glad to have you with us. I'm Madeline Albright, who was the first female secretary of state has uh, passed away under uh, she passed away at the age of 84 she um held the cabinet position actually a very very distinguished woman she serves as a u.s ambassador to the united nations from 1993 to 1997 she served as the u.s secretary of state under president clinton from 1997 to 2001 in 2012 she was awarded the presidential medal of freedom by um barack obama um, again, a woman just in a very you, – you can disagree with some of the politics and things like that, but very, very impressive and somebody who um, did just an absolutely tremendous job and a classic example of what we would describe as a life well-lived, Madeleine Albright passing away at the age of 84, and we'll have more details as the day goes on. We, we also – we're giving away, as part of our Palermo's Pizza Challenge, um, you have a chance to sign up to win teams. And um, for this hour, Arkansas and Duke were the two potential winners. So that means in the next hour, it would be Texas Tech and Gonzaga. A lot of people think Gonzaga is going to go all the way. So you'll have a chance to get assigned one of those teams. Keep listening. We'll give you the opportunity to do it. All right. Sunday after evening sunday evening i guess um our time there's going to be something that's going to be occurring and there was a time in life when this would be a really really big deal but actually not as much so anymore on sunday evening the 94th academy awards will will air Last year's broadcast drew the smallest audience on record, 9.85 million viewers. That's down 58% from the 23.6 million who watched the 2020 show, which ran before the pandemic took hold in the U.S. Now, to give you a, to give you a perspective on it, every Super Bowl in the past decade has drawn more than 100 million TV viewers. So the Super Bowl draws 100 million TV viewers the Oscars last year a tenth of that 9.85 million down dramatically now last year was a weird year of course because you had the pandemic and things like that but the Oscars are coming back so my question is are you going to be watching them now I always whenever I talk about topics related to this I'm always very sensitive because I have a very good friend whose children work in the entertainment industry and who's from Los Angeles and it's just a it's a it's a big deal he says, how, how can you rip on the Oscars it, it's just absolutely great and all of Los Angeles just gets wrapped up in all of this and I said well that's okay it, it might be all of Los Angeles getting wrapped up in this but I, I think in general the, the interest is, is pretty much gone, and there are a variety of reasons for it. But I would start with the fact that because it's all become so watered down, most people haven't seen or heard of many of the, the pictures, for example. Okay, this year, Oscar nominations for the best picture. Belfast. Huh. Coda. Don't Look Up. Drive My Car. 
Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, which I saw and I thought was just awful, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, which got awful reviews. So those are the nominations for, for Best Picture. My guess is most people haven't seen half of those pictures. Most people probably haven't seen more than one or two of those pictures. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, are you jazzed about the Oscars? And if you're not, why not? Why has it lost a lot of, if not most of its appeal? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the, the Oscars are this Sunday night. I, I went through the Best Picture Awards. My, my guess is my guess is the vast majority of people haven't seen most of those pictures, probably even haven't heard of many of those pictures. Um, this Best Actress, Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye Baker in the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Didn't see it. Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter. Never heard of it. Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers. Never heard of it. Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos. I saw that on, I think it was on on Hulu or something like that. And it was okay. Kristen Stewart as Diana in Spencer. She plays uh, Princess Diana. Um, I've heard of it, haven't seen it. But none of them are actually Vivian Lee in Gone with the Wind. 855-616-1620. My prediction is that they probably have to have more viewers this year than they did last year. You can't have less could you but I, I think the interest in the oscars is, is pretty much gone and there's a lot of reasons for that including the fact that nobody's heard of any of these movies let's start with jeff in fox point jeff you're first good afternoon hi jeff uh, i will not be watching the oscars because i think there's too much preaching and i generally think they use bad judgment in the movies that they nominate and give awards to have you seen any of those movies for best that are up for like best picture or anything no, I've seen zero of of them for best actress, and I think I've only seen like one or two for best picture. Yeah, I just, it's just it it's not, and I can remember Jeff when the Oscars were a big deal, where you'd really and it, most people had at least seen the vast majority of the movies that were nominated for for best picture. So you know, and everybody had their favorites and their rooting interest. Maybe it's because it's also watered down with you know all the you can watch it on the streaming services and stuff. But as a general rule, I just don't think there's any buzz about this anymore. Yeah, I mean, this is get off my lawn on my part, but I remember back in, like, the 83 or so area when, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Chariots of the Fire were the nominees, and there were only, like, five of them, and it was a pretty big deal, but now it's just gotten uh, really tired now, and it's just it's just not something I really want to watch. Yeah, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? So uh, I think uh, one of the reasons I won't be watching it is, as you said, there's too many movies, although I did see Belfast recently, and I do believe Judy Dench, just from her performance, deserves the uh, Best Supporting Actress Award. But the bigger reason for me is that how they've injected race into it, uh, in particular, particular blacks complaining that there's not enough black nominees or black winners. Just like when they did that with the NFL when they were you know, making a statement about that, it just completely turned me off, and I really don't want to watch it. 
Uh, thanks for the call, Mike. I mean, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, obviously there's there's the political sort of elements. I guess you, you can argue that that especially, you know, persons of color have been underrepresented over the years. So, I, I mean, if there's a pendulum that's swinging, I guess I don't so much have a problem with that. But it's just, I, and I don't know if the movies they're making, again, I'm with you. I, I don't want to sound like I, the, the get-off-the-lawn guy. But the, the, these movies, and you go through the list, and it's like, ah, oh, what's there? Okay, here's a text. Somewhere said, Belfast was amazing i haven't seen it jeff spencer which is the princess diana movie is on hulu um i watched it terrible film i I thought it had pretty good acting as well though jeff how ironic the day after i got my last print issues of entertainment weekly they're going all digital um i've seen three of the top 10 in the past i would have seen at least 80 percent of the nominations jeff i've gotten sick of these award shows because they become you know political or weird cause soapbox for the Hollywood clicks. Well, there is there is an element of that. And I think that, you know, if you're trying to... The, see, there was a point in time where, I mean, Hollywood was viewed as this thing that everybody aspires to. And, and we want to watch all the stars on the red carpet because the, these are sort of special people. And then, you know, when you listen to a lot of them preach about their politics or whatever, and it's not that they don't have the right to have their opinions. Of, of course they do. But you listen to a lot of this stuff and you kind of go, uh, you know, oh, okay, why do I want to subject myself to, I don't know, three hours of, of being preached to by the Hollywood elite and them giving themselves, you know, awards that uh, for things that none of us have, have seen. You know, it's kind of interesting because I, I have no problem with recognizing people in a particular industry, but we we don't we don't televise awards to reward for for example the hey th- this is the best plumber in, in this is the best plumber in Wisconsin and here we're going to televise the award ceremony and the best award goes to so and so. I mean, people don't watch that because you know they they don't care about that stuff and i think more and more that's where you're seeing the american public be jeff why would i watch a bunch of pretentious rich hypocrites give out awards to each other in many cases it's just another platform to bash america well you know that's it jeff maybe they need to add new categories have a best mainstream picture and then a best art picture that way the average person could actually relate to it and enjoy it. Well, I think there's kind of an element for that. There's no question about it. You know, you've, um, you, you, you've got this appeal that's out there. Now, maybe, look, maybe the numbers are going to change. And maybe this huge drop-off was due to the, the, the pandemic and the fact that people didn't go out to see movies and things like that. But I, I just don't think so. I think there's something that, that's bigger going on. Part of it is, I think, also with streaming and stuff, things are, things are, are more diluted. I mean, what, think about blockbuster movies this year. I mean, what, where, the Spider-Man movie? The, the Batman movie, maybe, but besides that, you know, you're talking about movies that have had limited viewership. And for many people, again, unless, unless you're really into watching stuff on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or one of those, those sort of streaming services, chances are you haven't been in the theater and you haven't seen it. Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Yeah, I really have tapered off watching the Oscars because I don't, thing that reflects the best pictures anymore years ago the oscars reflected the viewers appreciation for gone with the wind or or uh, you know singing in the rain or any of it sound of music but i don't think it reflects anymore i mean 
you know, you can say what you want about the last James Bond movie, the last Daniel Craig movie, but it did pretty good in the theaters. And I thought that was a good performance. But I don't think the Oscars reflect the viewer favorites anymore or what the viewers will consider a best picture. I don't. And I do agree with another caller. I think there's a little agendas, and I don't want to hear the preaching anymore. So I think yeah, it's a combination. I, yeah. yeah, no, it is. So th- thanks for the call. Plus, I think people, you know, one of the things that the that's happened during the pandemic is I, I think maybe we we've reevaluated our our sense of of priorities and things that are important and, and things that that aren't important. Again, I, I'm looking at the best picture nominations. Okay, Belfast, which is. Nine-year-old Buddy's life in Belfast in 1969 is filled with close-knit family music, the magic of movies, a crush on his classmate. But as the troubles encroach on his neighborhood, his parents must decide whether to remain in their home or move abroad. Okay, it sounds like I'm I'm sure it's a a fine movie, but not exactly one of those sort of like popcorn pot, um, you know, boilers that are there. Uh, All of them. I think it's Coda. Don't look up. Drive my car, Dune. I watched Dune. I, I did. I watched about an hour of it because I've read the books. I just couldn't get through the movie. King Richard. Um, that's that's about the father of the Williams sisters. Uh, it got good reviews, but didn't do much. Licorice Pizza. Like I say, I saw that. I was hearing that that was getting Oscar buzz. Well, Fran and I went to the movie theater and actually saw it. And I remember. We were walking out, and she's like, why did you bring me to that movie? And I'm going, I, I don't because I normally like these coming-of-age tales that are set in the 70s and stuff. Uh, not that one. Nightmare Alley, eh, Power of the Dog, that's getting good reviews, but haven't seen that one either. And West Side Story, which got lousy reviews. So I don't know. If, if you decide you want to watch the Oscars, quick reminder, that's coming up this Sunday. My guess is they'll have more than $9.85 million, but not a lot more. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Are you looking to brighten up your home? Well, get in touch with the window and door professionals at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin to get started on making your property look and feel more incredible today. For more information, call 888-984-1344 or visit PellaWI.com. Make sure you do it today. All right. Now, I understand that in some respects, I'm kind of a little bit of a contraindicator on this, but I have been arguing for the last couple weeks that the war in Ukraine is not going well for Russia. Now, I I understand that that the humanitarian toll has been incredible. I, I understand that as the army's advances have stopped, and in some cases it appears that the Ukraine forces are actually pushing back the Russians, I, I understand as that has happened, Putin has become more and more desperate and has started using tactics that I would liken to what, what Hitler did in 1940 with London, where you're, you're not winning the war militarily, so what you try to do is you try to terrorize the population by bombing hospitals and bombing civilian centers and things like that. And and that takes an incredible humanitarian toll. But that's, I think, reflective of the desperation you're seeing from Putin, who I believe thought that this this would be over in two or three days. I thought that he felt the tanks would roll into Kiev and he would occupy the the country and you wouldn't have this battle. And instead, he finds himself an international pariah he finds himself mired in a war with no 
no visible outcome, you know, and he's escalating and escalating, and everything he does makes him more of a pariah on the world stage. But there, there's other examples of this that are starting to come out. And I understand Russia is a closed society. It's a totalitarian society, so it's tough to get this information out. It's also tough to get information about what's really going on in the world into the Russian people. But you're starting to see more and more of this. New York Times, for example, reporting this morning that Putin's climate envoy envoy has been reported to become the senior most Russian government official who has now quit over the war in Ukraine. Um, Antonov Chubias, who left the country, has apparently left the country, citing his opposition to the war. He was a former deputy prime minister under Boris Yeltsin in the 1990s. He stepped down from his Kremlin post. And apparently this, this is starting to become more and more of a trend. Now, this guy isn't a member of Putin's inner circle of security. Uh, officials. But nevertheless, he's a very, very prominent figure in Moscow and on the international stage. New York Times is also reporting that as the invasion stalls, more and more dissent is viewing as brewing over Putin's leadership. Um, This is the way they write it. In January, the head of a group of serving and retired Russian military officers declared that invading Ukraine would be pointless and extremely dangerous. It would kill thousands, make Russians and Ukrainians enemies for life, risk a war with NATO, and threaten the existence of Russia itself as a state. And now, you know, that's that's starting to come true. The retired general who said that, you know, he's, he's going publicly. He said, look, it's difficult for him to speak freely given Russia's wartime censorship. But he says, I do not disavow what I said. The point is, the longer this goes on, the more effect the sanctions have on the Russian people and the Russian economy, the more Russian troops get killed. And you know, whether it's 10,000 or 15,000 or 20,000, the loss of Russian military tanks and material and people, it's starting to become staggering in this regard. So the more that happens, the more pressure there is on Putin to figure out what he can do to save face and and find a diplomatic off-ramp to this. I don't know exactly what that is. But again, every day that goes by, I think is a further blow to Russia. And I think that's good news for everybody else. Back with more in just a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So very glad to have you with us. All right. No secret that gas prices have gone through the roof, although they appear to have stabilized a little bit. About a week and a half ago, Tony Evers joined four or five other Democrat governors in calling for a suspension of the federal gasoline tax, which is about 18 cents a gallon. The idea was, let's suspend the gasoline tax, and we will give people a break at the pump. That'll be the the plan. Well, I I thought that, that that was fine as far as it goes, but rather than suspending the federal gasoline tax, which is, like I say, 18 or 19 cents a gallon, if you really wanted to help people in Wisconsin, one of the things that you could do would be to suspend the state gasoline tax, which is 
by the time you add it, the, the state gasoline tax is a little bit over 31 cents a gallon, but then there's also the, this added kicker that they have. So when you go to fill up your car with gasoline in Wisconsin, it, it's actually, at the end of the day, it's 33 cents. That's what you are paying for every gallon of gasoline you, you buy. So, I mean, my argument was, well, oh, okay, if, if you think it's a good idea for the feds to suspend their gas tax, Governor Evers, isn't it a good idea maybe in Wisconsin where you could really give people a break? Well, um, I don't know how Tony feels about that, but in two states, Georgia and Maryland, they have done exactly what I just mentioned. Those two states have temporarily suspended their gas taxes. So drivers, um, let's see, the way it, it works is in Maryland, um, it, their, their gas tax is 36 cents per gallon and 37 cents per gallon on, on diesel. So what they've done is they've suspended it for 30 days. In Georgia, gas tax, 29 cents per gallon, 32 cents per gallon on diesel. They have suspended that for 30 days. So nobody's talking about doing it forever, but this is a temporary thing given everything else that's going on with inflation to try to give people a little bit of a break. So let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. All right, inflation is running amok. You've got inflation, what the numbers, 8 9%. It's definitely increasing the cost of living. It is a tax primarily on poorer people with inflation, and there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, you can point fingers to who's to blame, etc. And then you've got what's going on in Ukraine, which is causing an increase in worldwide gas prices. I happen to think it's going to be temporary, but it, it's there right now. So... As we push $3.50 a gallon, $4 a gallon, one of the things that you could do to immediately give some people some form of relief is you could say for the next 30 days, we're going to suspend the state gas tax. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Could you, in fact, get behind something like that? Now, admittedly, that means that you shut off the money that's coming in for roads, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, we've got all this COVID relief money that's floating around, and maybe you could use that to make up some of the revenue that you've lost from the gas tax. 855-616-1620. I think it's in the interest of the people of Wisconsin to give them a temporary break with the emphasis on temporary let's do it for 30 days and let's see where we are at the end of 30 days 855-616-1620 should we have a gas tax holiday we discuss in just a moment this is jeff wagner wtmj 855-616-1620 which is the academic mortgage talk and text line two states have taken the step of suspending their gas tax and in both cases, the gas tax, this is Maryland and Georgia. In Maryland, uh, the gas tax is 36 cents per gallon. In Wisconsin, it's 33 cents. In Georgia, it's 29 cents a gallon. So it's it's the same sort of ballpark. They've suspended it for 30 days in order to give people in their state some degree of relief. And I suspect they're going to reanalyze it after 30 days. Wouldn't that be nice in Wisconsin? 855-616-1620. Dave in Winnicani. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%, and, and here's why. They're arguing about who wants their name on this money that they want to send back to us. 
because they're they've got too much. They say here's the right. way they can do it. They don't have to spend a lot on on stamps to send us a check. You know, they can just reduce the gas tax or eliminate the gas tax for a period of time till they get to that amount that they want to send back. The only thing is, I don't know if that can happen because the legislature won't let Tony Evers do anything without their approval, and they've adjourned. Well, this is, no, you're right. But this is one where if there was ever a basis for a, a special session to give direct benefit to the suffering people of Wisconsin economically, this would be ones that, and you know, you're, you're right too uh, about the whole idea of who's going to get credit for stuff like this, but I don't, I don't care. It isn't. This strikes me as being the right thing to do for this particular time in, in our history. And, and and yeah, you you live. You're you're choking off revenues for thirty days, but we're 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 actually flush with cash from all sorts of other things. So okay, maybe if you really need it, you take some money out of something else and you you free it up and you put it back into the roads. But let's let's help the people that are hurting at the pump. Right. And, there, and there's a way that they can give us our money back that they want to do without, you know, the postage and all the other stuff. Right. Well, right. Now, thanks for calling. We're, we're arguing about, okay, you know, who, who should get money back? Should you get money back if you didn't pay taxes? Where does this particular thing come from? No, th- this is directly tied to the thing that is going on now, which is the spiraling gas prices. Now, there's other things that you could do as well, and I've argued it's way past time to do away with the minimum markup law and things like that, which would give uh, you about a 9% break as well. But, okay, th- there's there's incredible institutional resistance to that. So, oh, okay, all right, let's, let's look at something, what else we could do. Maybe this is an easy thing that you could do for at least a temporary period of time. Michelle and Grafton. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I think no one is going to um, disagree with you. I mean, that it's an excellent idea. It's a temporary fix. It's something that he could easily do. But between you and I, I don't think I've ever even heard him hint that this is on his the table or on his plate to be considered. And um, I think, it, you know, how can we how can we present this to him? How can we make him... Um, well, suggest that uh, well, he is he's thinking about it. Get him on the radio. You know, you guys well, do interviews with politicians yeah. all the time, and yeah. and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And the people are hurting, and this is something you could do instantaneously. Well, well, my, th- thanks for calling, Michelle. Uh, Governor Evers, I, I, the, the day he comes on this program will be. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's stories behind that as well, but 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 regard. But I'll tell you what the opportunity was, and you, and you ask where did this idea come up? Well, like I say, about a week and a half ago, he's standing at a news conference with four other Democratic governors, including uh, Governor Whitmer from Michigan, and I don't remember the other three off the top of my head, and, and they're touting a suspension of the federal gas tax, which is which is 19 cents. They're saying, okay, well, this is what we think we should do, so we'd get it relief. I, it, it was actually, th- and this is the frustration that you get with, with the mainstream media that's out there, uh, apparently 
nobody that was, at least based on my knowledge, and I'll correct myself if I'm wrong, nobody in the audience at the time, none of these reporters that are listening to talk about, hey, we, we, we need to suspend the federal gas tax, and that's great. That's going to give us 19 cents a gallon relief. Nobody thought to raise their hand and say, Governor Evers, Governor Whitner. I, I'm just curious. The state sales tax in your state, Wisconsin, for example, is all in, all done. It's 33 cents. If you think it's a good idea for the feds to suspend their 19 cents a gallon gas tax, all right, I understand that. Why wouldn't it also be a good idea for you to suspend the 33 cent a gallon gas tax in Wisconsin? That was actually the ideal opportunity to ask that. What, what, do, you, what do you think about this? And then, of course, you know, if he's if he's on board with it, well, yes, that's a very good idea. And and you're right because I don't want to be a hypocrite about this. Since I'm saying we should suspend the federal gas tax, so I, I, absolutely, I will we'll do that. And then, of course, then you get to go to you know the Republicans in the legislature, and you get to call up Robin Voss, and you get to say, okay, no, the governor is on board with a temporary suspension of the gas tax. Where are you on this? And if they bring us back in a special session, you know, can you deliver the votes? I, it, to me, it, it's easy, and it was the opportunity for that. And, you know, I, I think it's it's absolutely great. Jeff, he will not do it. They never do anything to save any money. I think it's disgusting. Um yeah, okay, well, th- this is this is an opportunity. And, again, you don't have to be, you're, 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 not, you're not out there by yourself here. You already have other states, governors who have followed through on, on what they ended up saying that they were going to do. Uh, James on the south side. James, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, uh, I think uh, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm right with you uh, with, uh, you know, suspending that, but, he ain't gonna do that, you know. He's gonna. He wants to buy votes and stuff like that. He only wants to do what, what's gonna appeal to him and what's gonna make get him back in for governor. He don't care about the rest of us people. He does. He could care less about us. Well, well, wait, well, James, thanks for the call, but no, see that that's the brilliance of of this, Governor Evers. This is every once in a while. Just every once in a while, you get these ideas that are both good politics and good policy. Okay, so you say it's a vote-buying scheme. Oh, okay, all right, I'll, I'll accept that. But still, that doesn't mean it's not good policy. This would be sort of something that I think you could be incredibly popular. You know, it's an election year. Tony Evers running for re-election. It's going to be close just because Wisconsin elections are almost always close one way or the other. So that this would make a great, you know, 30-second campaign ad when prices were skyrocketing and when inflation was running rampant. Well, maybe they don't want to say that exactly in the, in the ad, but okay, when when gas prices because of Vladimir Putin were going through the roof, I'm writing the ad now, when they're going through the roof because of Vladimir Putin, Tony Evers stepped up, provided leadership, and suspended the state gas tax, giving you know people at the pump you know a, an important advantage for 30 or 60 or 90 days or, or whatever. I think that makes a great campaign ad, actually. And, and yeah, you, you can argue about you know what the causes are and what the reasons were, but I think that's a situation where you've got you know good politics and also good policy. Um, Jeff, I'm in favor of a three-month suspension of both the federal and the state gas tax. We can use the state surplus and money from the federal infrastructure bill to cover you know road repairs. Um, yeah, that's you know that's Jeff. Fuel is more than double in price. What's thirty cents a gallon? Oh wow. All right. Okay. I. I 
I, I'm sorry, I, I don't buy into this this argument that we get. Well, you know, it, it's gone up. You know, two years ago it was a dollar seventy or dollar eighty, and now it is what it is now. So what's thirty cents a gallon? So that's that's only three bucks, you know, per every ten gallons. Okay. Well, I, I get it, but it, it's 30 cents. It's like people who say, well, that you put in that particular provision, and it's not going to stop everybody from stealing cars. Well, okay, I'm not arguing that there's any one magic bullet that's going to make gas prices go from $4 a gallon or $3.80 or $3.50 down, back down to $1.80. I, I, I appreciate that, but still... 30 cents a gallon is 30 cents a gallon. What's the alternative? I mean, and if you're in a position where you don't care about 30 cents a gallon or you add the federal gas tax to it and you bring it up to about 50 cents a gallon, you don't care about that? Well, go with God. But I think a lot of other people do. All right. It is that time. We've been telling you all week that you have an opportunity on Selection Wednesday, which is today, sponsored by Palermo's Pizza, to win free pizza for a year. Here's the deal. 855-616-1620. Callers number 7 and 8. Callers number 7 and 8 will each be assigned one of the two remaining teams in the tournament west bracket. And the two we have left are Gonzaga, I believe, and Texas Tech. Callers 8 and 9 will be randomly assigned one of those two teams. If either one of those teams wins it all, you get free pizza for a year. Callers 8 and 9, 855-616-1620. It's the Palermo's Pizza Bracket Challenge on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, one of the things that that they did, and this was something that really kind of started under John Norquist and then uh, sort of picked up steam under Tom Barrett, one of the things that they wanted to do in an effort to make you, as a homeowner, think that your property taxes were under control, is that they started to take things off of the property tax and and pay for it with, like, fees. So, I mean, you, you pay your property taxes, and you would think that, oh, oh, gosh, that should go to pay for this or that or the other thing. But instead, what they would do is they would say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put on a, a, a fee for streetlights. You know, what do you mean a fee for streetlights? I'm paying property taxes, and that's supposed to be for the sidewalks and to maintain these things. You know, but but no, we're going to call it a separate fee. So then, when we look at like property tax increases or things like that, it's well, you, you don't have to worry because it, the property tax hasn't gone up, but the fees ha- have gone up. So the average resident of the city of Milwaukee, the average homeowner, pays a fee of about forty dollars a year for the street lights okay the street lights have you seen what is going on with the street lights in the city of Milwaukee um, you know, channel 12 had this report about how apparently neighbors just their, their street lights have been out for weeks and now that it is spring and now that you have in, inevitably what we go through with the you know the the cooling and the heating and things like that it's apparently worse they, they channel 12 interviews this guy lives in uh, 929th and national their street lights have been out for two weeks guy says i called the mayor i called the common council i called the engineering department three times they gave me excuses but the, the big excuse was hey why are you complaining there's other neighborhoods that have been out longer than you so we'll get to it when we get to it you know and they're talking about you can't seize parking spots until you get up to them 
You can't see your stairs. It's just so dark. Somebody is going to get hurt out there. And apparently the Department of Public Works website shows that, you know, um, just when this story was done, the city received over 100 complaints within a 24-hour period for street light outages. And their justification is, well, nearly 40% of our street lights are powered by series circuitry that's nearly 100 years old. You know, those are the ones that are most troubling. It's like the old Christmas tree string lights, where if a single light goes out, it takes down the entire strand. Okay, I understand that. They, they need to be upgraded. But my question is, for how many years have the residents of the city of Milwaukee been paying $40 uh, average homeowner, in addition to the property taxes, to you know have the street lights. Where is that money going? If you've got bad old technology, what have you been doing with that forty dollars on average that you've been collecting for every homeowner? Like I say, in addition to the property taxes, it is amazing to me what people will tolerate. And I keep wondering at what point in time are people going to say enough is enough? One of our texters in the last conversation, we're talking about the the fact that you've got all these street lights that are out, and that in a 24-hour period, they have over a hundred people that call and complain in the city of Milwaukee, and and their response is, well, you know, it, it's hundred-year-old technology, and it, it's kind of like the old Christmas tree lights, and one goes out and it takes out all of them, which may very well be true, but the question becomes, how, how did it let? How did it end up getting that that bad? And um, one of our one of our textures says, "Well, look at the bright side. At least they're saving electricity." Yeah, that that that's right. This is we're we're trying to be frugal. We're trying to be environmentally sensitive. Yes, the street lights are out. Yes, you can't see. Yes, it's unsafe. But you know what? What the heck? You know, we're we're saving electricity. We're going green by not allowing these lights to work or not repairing them in a timely fashion. Go figure. All right. So th- this this brings me to where, where I want to go with our next conversation. There is a, a mayoral election that is coming up, what, uh, two weeks from, from yesterday. And there, there are choices. You've got the current acting mayor, Cavalier Johnson, who's the present, former president of the, the current president of the Common Council. You've got former alderman Bob Donovan. Conventional wisdom is that Cavalier Johnson will win this in a walkaway. He's supported by a lot of the money interests. Um, if he is elected, he becomes the first black mayor of the city. And, you know, firsts are always great in many cases, you know, things like that. Um, so the conventional wisdom is that Bob Donovan, who is the more conservative of the two candidates, has no chance to win. He's being outspent. He's running his campaign from a couple small places on the south side. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's going to be the case. I'm not going to be surprised if Bob Donovan outperforms expectations because I think his campaign is touching on a number of issues that I think should resonate with the majority of the voters in the city of Milwaukee. But that's a far cry from saying he's necessarily going to win because, again, the deck is kind of stacked against him, including the fact that you have the mainstream media in this town that's pretty much decided why are we even having an election? Let's just coronate, let's have a coronation for Cavalier Johnson. And if that happens, it is what it is. But there are various differences between the candidates. And one of those differences has to do with the Tom Barrett trolley. Now, right now, the Milwaukee streetcar runs, it's a 2.1-mile loop. It's essentially a yuppie people mover from the Lower East Side down to the bus station. The attendance numbers 
the ridership numbers are not good. Part of that's due to the pandemic. Part of it is due to the fact that it doesn't go anywhere. Um, but the problem is it, it doesn't come close to paying for itself. You know, when the thing was built, the people of Milwaukee were told that we're going to charge a dollar per ride. That's never happened because the streetcar backers know that if they charge anything to get on the thing, if they charge anything as bad as the attendance numbers are, the ridership numbers are now, they're going to plummet. If they charge 50 cents, it's going to plummet. So right now what's happening is in order to sustain the streetcar, they're taking you know other revenue that could be used to do other things, and this goes to, to funding. All right, that, that's the way it is now. So you've got the 2.1 streetcar, uh, 2.1 mile line that essentially goes nowhere, and it doesn't even go at very go anywhere very fast. It is going to be extended down to the lakefront. They're going to run this spur down to the Couture if and when the Couture gets built. Okay, so that's pretty much of a given. But the argument is that well, if we're going to get any significant ridership, what we need to do is we need to expand it all over the city. We need to take it down into the south side. We need to take it up to the north side. We need to take it past Vicer Forum because if it goes more places, it will encourage more people to ride it. There, there is, there, there's a certain, okay, appeal to that particular argument. But here's, here's the problem. It is an incredibly expensive thing to expand the streetcar like we're they're talking about, which would essentially make it like a nine-mile route. The cost, and they, they don't want to discuss this, but to their credit, Fox 6, you know, did a, a report several months ago. They, they got the, they found what the city planners want, seven new miles of streetcar. They want to do it in the next, like, six years. But what they don't want to tell you is how much this is going to cost. The new route would be, wait for it, $330 million. $330 million. Now, they're hoping to get the feds to pay for 80% of it, but, but even at that, that still leaves, even if you could get the feds to pay for $80 million, that still leaves the city of Milwaukee on the hook for like $66 million, plus it leaves the city of Milwaukee on the hook for the operating expenses. So the question to me, is is it's not do you like the trolley or, or not do you think it's a novelty etc it's given every need that you have given the fact that you got street lights that that are are out given the fact that you've got lead in the in the pipes given the fact that you have all the problems with the roadways is taking 330 million dollars and expanding a streetcar line that right now very few people are riding, expanding that, well, you know, tripling it, quadrupling it in size, is that the most effective way to spend, you know, $330 million, even if you had the $330 million? And getting back to the mayoral race, Cavalier Johnson, he, he's, he's in favor of it. He says, yep, I'm, now how, how much in favor of it is, you know, who, who knows? I mean, it's one thing to say, well, yeah, I think we should look at this, or I think it's, you know, an, an econo- it, it helps, you know, benefit the economy, so, you know, we would pursue it. 
how much he would pursue it is a different story. Bob Donovan says before we do any extensions at all, what we need to do is we need to have a referendum because I want to see where the general public is on this, and let's really find out if people think that that's the best way you can spend $330 million. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, if we had $330 million sitting around, federal and state, uh, federal and, and local money, and understanding also that the operating costs are going to have to be borne by the city of Milwaukee like they are now, is a streetcar expansion the way to spend $330 million? And I'm not asking, gee, would this be nice? Gee, would this be cool? Oh, that would be super because I could go to the bars on you know the east side, and then if I want to go up to Pfizer Forum, I could hop on the trolley and it would take me there. So I'm not asking if, and if I can ride for free, that would be even better. I'm not asking if it would be a nice thing. I'm asking whether if you had $330 million, where on your priority list is an expansion of the hop? 855-616-1620. And before we go down that route, at the very least, isn't Donovan right that you should have at least a referendum to give you an idea of where the taxpayers in the city of Milwaukee are on this? Because ultimately, they're going to be the ones that are on the hook for at least some of the money, and they're going to be the ones that are going to be on the hook for the other things that are going to need to be paid for if you spend the money on the streetcar. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff, we have a trolley here in Kenosha, and it's a total flop. It goes around the courthouse and near the downtown area, seldom see more than three or four riders, and it costs several million. What, what a waste. You see, that's that that's the thing. If you look at... If you look at the money that was spent on the downtown trolley and you, you look at the, the ridership, I mean, it, it's clear, at least in my opinion, that it's a loser. But think of what you could have done for a fraction of, of the cost. And it, the, look, why do you have the, the trolley, for example, that, that runs at fixed times when there's almost nobody riding it? it would, think about if you had rubber tire buses, for example. Rubber tire trolleys that you could pull out and use when you needed them. All right, so you've got the bucks that are in the playoffs, and you've got everybody that wants to go down to Fiserv Forum. Okay, great. So you, you you, you start a schedule. Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna institute the rubber tire trolley thing, and we're gonna charge 50 cents a ride or a dollar a ride. We're gonna bring people from all over the city, and we're gonna have these different routes, and they're gonna converge down at Fiserv and drop people off, because we know that there's thousands of people that are heading into the Deer District. I understand that. And then what happens, but you don't run those every day. You, you run them on those occasions where there's something going on at, at Fiserv. And then what do you do the rest of the time? Well, you, you put the rubber tire trolleys, you, you put them in the warehouse and you let them sit until there's the the next event hey Summerfest is going on great let's you know we got people coming in from all over the area all over the world to see Summerfest great let's bring out the rubber tire trolleys and let's set up a schedule and let's run people down let's shuttle people down to the lakefront why in God's green earth do you have a fixed line trolley that is bringing people down to the lakefront when when it's the middle of January and nobody's going to the you know the lakefront, it makes no sense at all. You do not have the the flexibility that exists. Now somebody sent me a text saying, well, what they really need to do is they need to go with a light rail concept. They need to run it from the airport to the VA to you know the American Family Field and all these things. 
All right. The, the, the nine, the expanding it from two miles to nine miles is, is $330 million minimum. All right. Doing that is, I, I mean, I don't know, $500 million? Uh, who, who knows how much money that would be? A billion? I, I don't know. But it's so astronomical that you say, all right, where, where is the dough going to come up to, to do this? Somebody texted me and said, well, you should look at the light rail system in Denver. It, it eases congestion. We we don't have that congestion problem. It's, I mean, I understand if if you were if we were Chicago, for example, and you, there might be a more pressing need for public transportation. But we we don't. It's still relatively easy to get around Milwaukee, and given the population swings, that's that's not um, you know changing at all. Um, one of our texters says, Jeff, they had buses provide those services, and nobody rode them. That's right. They did try that rubber tire trial, the rubber tired trolley um, proposal, and nobody wrote them. Which is more evidence. If they're not going to ride the rubber tire trolley proposal, why do we think it's a good idea to spend hundreds of millions of dollars that we do not have, or is going to have to be deflected from some other priority to pay for it? And, and again, I. Maybe the city of Milwaukee wants to do it, but is Donovan wrong in saying, hey, we should have a referendum, and, and let's have this as a conversation, and, and let's talk to the people on the northwest side who get no benefit at all from, from the streetcar, none whatsoever. Let's talk to the people on, on the far south side who get no benefit from this at all and see if, if this is the way they want to go. Uh, Jeff, don't go making too much sense. They'll think you're a witch. <laughs> I, I, I understand in, in all that. Jeff, you're, on, you're exactly right. Well, uh, Jeff, the trolley priority for me is about zero, but I might be missing the long-term bigger picture. It soon seems that every car in Milwaukee will soon be stolen. Maybe trolley ridership will go as car theft victims grow in numbers. Well, see, that's the other thing that, that it's out there, and you have to, and it, it's the problem that you always struggle with with mass transit, which is, as soon as soon as people get the opportunity to buy a car, they buy a car because we we like to own cars and things like that. Now I, I and so I, I appreciate that there is a role for mass transit. I, I'm not against it. I'm just against stuff that makes absolutely you know, no sense at all when it comes to this. Jeff, buy a bus, make it look like a trolley, call it a trolley, it's a trolley. Um, no, Jeff, $330 million of Milwaukee loose change should be spent on replacing the lead service line so the kids aren't brain damaged anymore. At a minimum, it should go to a referendum, but we know the reason why it isn't going to, and that's because a lot of the people pushing us, they know what the results of a referendum would be. They know that this even in the city of Milwaukee, would go down in flames. And so you have these conversations. Now, I bring this up only because, as I frequently say on this program, elections matter. You know, I know there's people who are watching the Supreme Court confirmations go on, and, you know, they're, they're, not, unha- they're not happy with Joe Biden's choice. Oh, okay, well, elections have consequences. Biden won. He gets to appoint his you know, people that share his judicial philosophy to the bench. That's that's just kind of the reality of what goes on. Elections have consequences. And while Donovan at least isn't saying that, you know, he, he'll completely rule it out, he, he's saying, I think I want to have a 
I want to have a referendum on that. So it's out there. It's some of the choices that are there. Elections have consequences. There's differences between the candidates. If you live in the city of Milwaukee, consider those differences on a variety of issues when you vote. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what's going on on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 2.57. This is Jeff Wagner. That's pretty much it for me. Greg Madzik in for John McCure. He's off this week. Who would have thought? John McCure. I, isn't that strange, right? You know, crummy week of weather. Actually, Monday was decent, but uh, we have fallen on some wet, wet times here. I, I presume John is in a different climate, Jeff, although I don't know for sure. I, I think that that's a, probably a pretty good bet. That okay. would be my guess. And if he's not, what's the matter with him? He should be. Right, he should climate. be. I, well, we're going to do our best to set a Guinness Book of World Records and not puke on the program today. So that'll be one of the highlights of the program. Uh, how many nuggets, chicken nuggets, Jeff, do you think you could eat in one minute? Oh my gosh! I, I, you know, I got to confess, I don't think I've ever had a chicken nugget. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever had a chicken nugget. Are you no, serious? You're about the McDon- yeah, I, I understand. Obviously, that there's something wrong in my background, <laughs> but you're talking about the things from McDonald's, right? Uh, yes, in a variety of different uh, locations do up the nugget, but uh, of course, chicken McNuggets is what you associate when we talk about nuggets. Well, somebody ate 19 in a minute, so we are going to figure out if we can do this on the air today. And uh, if we can do it without, I don't know, further damaging our gastrointestinal system. Jeff, I, okay, feel, wait, like, who, who, I feel like Fran has something to do with the fact that you've <laughs> never had a chicken nugget, right? Wait, wait, well, she's only been in my life for like five or six <laughs> years. But yes, that, that, that's... Yeah. Uh, okay, are, now, Melissa, are you going to be eating the chicken McNuggets, too? I will not be eating them, but I will be <laughs> right, heating them up slightly. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this has producer written all over it, Jeff. Uh, I think we're, uh, we're veterans of the radio industry. Look, I've been through this when I was a producer back in the day on the greenhouse. It is now my turn to uh, turn this over to somebody else. So we're going to have Nick try and give it a shot later in the program. Let's have Nick do it. He'll eat anything. Uh, exactly. That was kind of the thought process. And, uh, yeah, we'll Nicky see what he can do. Uh, we are timing this out close to his dinner. So uh, we're hopeful that uh, Lauren doesn't have anything planned at home. So, hey, tune in. Listen to us. Watch it on the stream. On our Facebook page, WTMJ, you can watch it, Jeff. You can enjoy it. You can soak in the revelry of us trying to establish a new Guinness Book of Records. I'm pulling for you guys.